Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now enjoy the message. We are still in our series called Rescued. And if you're a mom here today, happy Mother's Day, by the way. Those of you that are watching online, so thankful for our mothers and the indelible imprint they are on each of our lives. But if you are a mother, you are a rescuer by nature. And we don't want to be, and counselors and friends have told us, this is not a good idea. We're rescuing our kids way too much. I don't know about you, but my generation, we weren't rescued quite as much as the newer generation. That's probably our fault, right? But I didn't want my kids to suffer or to fill out a place or all the things that we did. We rescued a whole lot, and we're trying to get better about that and not rescue them so much. But people are saying now we've created a generation that expects to be rescued, and they don't want to work, and they, yeah, you know how all that goes. So um, God's going to come in and redeem all that and rescue that as well. I'm not a good ask for help person. I think there's kind of two kinds of people. Either you're a rescuer and you love to help people, that is me, or you love to be rescued. I have family members who are like, hey, bail me out all day long. This is great. I just don't like that. So I have to be pretty desperate to be in a situation that I will ask for help or accept help because it's really that bad. So a few years ago, I had made all these plans with my daughter Caroline. She was in preschool. And it was Valentine's Day, and I had said I would come up at lunch and bring the Valentine's Day cookies and the punch. You know how all that goes. She was so excited that I was going to get to be in her classroom at lunch and meet all of her friends. So I dropped her off at school. I went to work out. I went home to take a quick shower before I had to get up there to see her. And we were in a house at the time. It's not like that we were fixing up. You guys lived through a fixer-upper before Yes, that was us. So we were replacing doors and everything as we had money and time and the orange foil wallpaper, the chocolate brown shag carpet, all of that was in this house and we were chasing it as we could. And I went into the, I had to tell you the background because when I went in to take the shower and in this particular shower, there was a, a shower and a toilet and a door and that was it. There's no window, there was there was no one, nothing else. So I left all my phone, all the stuff out there on the counter because I didn't want it to get wet. Um, and then I went in and shut the door. And as soon as I shut the door, both doorknobs fell off. And I thought, this is not good. So I played, you know, there's a metal case in there. I played with it for a little while and I thought, I'm not getting out of here. I don't think so. I was barefoot, of course. And I thought, well, the door opens in. I can try to kick the door And I tried a couple of times and thought I'm going to injure myself and be in here with a broken leg, bleeding, who knows what, probably not a good idea, so I canceled that. Well, I saw Derek replacing these doors, and he had a hammer and a chisel. Do you guys know when they knock out that pin, and then you can take it off the hinge? I thought, well, I have no tools. I did watch MacGyver. I have a can of shaving cream. All right, let's see what this can do. Maybe that rivet could, I tried that, and you know what happened. I punctured the can. Shaving cream went all over me all over the shower. Then I'm afraid I'm going to get asphyxiated or sick. So I thought, well, hey, I can take a really long shower, right? I figured I had about four hours. Caroline was going to get out of school at two. They're probably wondering why I wouldn't bring the cookies, but I'm sure they went on without that. 
So I knew I had about four hours. So I took a shower. There was a book. I read a book for a while. Sat on my towel. That's like all I had. Cleaned like any OCD person would be. I cleaned top to bottom. Never had a bathroom that cleaned before. Shaving cream really cleans pretty good. I wasn't aware of that. And it does. And then I sat there minute after minute after hour after hour praying, thinking, I thought I should make some big decision with my life, right? I'm totally uninterrupted. When do you get this? And then the phone started ringing. And I didn't have a watch, so I didn't really know the time. But I'm thinking, okay, it's probably nearing about 2 o'clock. And the phone's ringing, both phones now. Then we had a landline. Landline's ringing, the cell phone's ringing. And I'm thinking, ah, they're looking for me. They're going to come rescue me. So I waited and waited and waited. And then I heard my neighbor and best friend down the street come in the house, and she's yelling, Mary, Mary. And I knew she's the person I put on that thing to call. You know, like if you weren't ever there, that somebody they could call to pick up your child. So, and I'm looking out that little hole, and I'm yelling, Diane, I'm back in the bathroom. So she walks, she goes, what are you doing? I go, well, what do you think I'm doing? I'm stuck in here. I can't get out. And then she starts laughing, laughing uncontrollably. She can't even stop laughing. I said, is Roger home? She said, yes, her husband Roger was home. I said, see if Roger can, you know, help me get out. So she said, well, hey, I'm going to send Caroline in. I told her to stay in the car just in case you were murdered and it was a crime scene. (laughs) I didn't want her scarred for life. Thanks a lot. So she sends little four-year-old Caroline in, and Caroline gets her little eye up to the hole, and she looks in. She goes, Mommy, and she starts crying. And I said, oh, honey, it's okay. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. And she said, no, you didn't come to my Valentine's Day party. I said, oh, man, it's not my fault. The bad door got stuck. It didn't open. And I really wanted to come. And then Roger came. And, oh, by the way, I said, Caroline, will you hand me my T-shirt right up there? Mr. Roger's coming, and I don't have any clothes. So she's shoving it through the door, and Roger comes. And I says, Roger, I have clothes. No worries. And he goes, eh. He thought it was funny. So they did get me out. He broke something, and oh, it was just quite a hopeless feeling. It's easy to laugh now, right? But have you felt that way before? In an impossible situation, I knew I was going to get out at some point. I knew somebody would come looking for me. But it's a really hopeless feeling when we realize we're not as in charge as we thought we were, and we're not as in control of everything as we tend to think that we are. And I bet you've been rescued from something. I bet you guys have some great stories, too, of car accidents and um, mountain climbs and great things that God has come in and bailed you out on. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is such a story about rescue. And it starts off really happy, and it's in the book of Ruth. And it's about a dad. His name was Elimelech. And he was a great man of God in his town of Bethlehem in Israel. And he had a wonderful wife. Her name was Naomi. And he had two kids, Malon and Kilion. And they were both sons, which was a huge blessing at that time to have sons who could work and help you and work to provide for your family. But unfortunately, a famine came into the land. And they all became very, very hungry. Hungry to where you're not seeing straight hungry. So they decide, if they want to watch everybody die, are you going to get up and go somewhere? So they decided, hey, let's go to Moab. It's a neighboring nation. It's 
Not really the best place. They don't really like Israel. We won't tell them where we're from. Let's go get some food for a while. Let the famine pass and we'll come back. So that's what they did. And you know it's bad if they went to Moab because it was not really the best place for them to go. And then the unbelievable happens. They get there and Imelech dies. Their dad dies. So they're in this foreign place. They don't have friends and family and a life group bringing them meals and telling them they love them and care about them. They're all by themselves. And the main guy who is helping support them is gone and they're afraid. Naomi knows this is not a great place for widows, but she's thinking, okay, but I have my two sons. You know, we're gonna make it, we're gonna be okay. So the two sons marry and they marry Moabite women. Of course they do, they're in Moab, right? Which was not really heard of in that day. But you know what, Naomi was a good mom. She loved those boys, she loved her daughter-in-laws and she thought, you know what, I'm gonna teach them about my God, about Yahweh. And the great things God has done for Israel and our nation. And so she does. And they lived there for about 10 more years. And then the unbelievable happens again. Both of the sons die. So now it's Naomi, her two daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth. And they begin talking about what they're going to do. And they're a little bit afraid. Women alone, widows is not really a safe place there. And what are they going to do? And um, she's praying and she heard the famine was over in Israel. So Naomi gets this idea and she says, I think I'm gonna go back to Israel. But she sets both the girls down and she tells them, I love you so much, but I know what it's like being a foreigner in a land and it's not an easy place to be. You guys stay here. Stay here with your families. I will miss you terribly, but stay here with your families. You can marry again. You can have children. I think this is the best thing for you. Orpah cried. Naomi cried, Ruth cried, they all cried again. They were gonna be devastated to not be with each other. And Orpah hugs her one last time and says, okay, and she goes home to be with her family. And Ruth hugs her and she won't let go. And Ruth says, I'm not leaving you. Let's read what she says. And Ruth one, she says, but Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And most importantly, she says, your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So our rescue number one in the story is Ruth comes to the rescue. This was a big deal. This was a really big deal to step out on faith, but she loved Naomi. She had heard so much about Naomi's God, and she's thinking, I want to go wherever she goes. I want her to continue mentoring me. This wasn't her real mother, and as we talk about Mother's Day, we mother other people besides our real children, right? This was her daughter-in-law that she didn't really have to mother, and Ruth is thinking, I want to know her God. I want to go where she goes, and I want to learn and be just like her. So back in the Old Testament, when a husband died, literally a woman had to fight for her life. So her going to this trail that she was going to go back to Israel was not going to be safe. And for Ruth to go was really a rescue to protect her. So a great thing happens. They both get there and they get there safely. That was a miracle in itself but they get there and they don't have anything to eat and they're hungry. 
And they're thinking, how are we going to provide for ourselves? And then Naomi has an idea, and she says, hey, I have a relative here. His name is Boaz. He has a lot of money. He has a lot of land. Ruth, go to his land. He lets people get on the fringe and pick up what they want after they've harvested. You can go get us some food. So Ruth does that. She puts on her thing with the big pockets that she's going to be able to go to and come back and bring back, you know, the food for them. And Naomi could prepare it and make food out of what she had gleaned and harvested. And it was beginning to work. And out of God's provision, Boaz takes favor on Ruth. He asked the workers, who's that new girl over there? I haven't seen her before. Who is that? And they said, oh, she's one of your relatives, actually. Tells them the story about Naomi, about her sons. And Boaz says, give her all that she wants. Make sure she's safe. Wasn't always a safe place there either for a woman alone. And he begins to take care of her. And then there was this special thing in the Old Testament, and it was called kinsman redeemer. And it was, it was in case of somebody in your family, a relative or something dies, you can step in and take care of them. And because he was related to Ruth by Naomi, and that was his relative, he could become Ruth's kinsman redeemer. So Naomi begins telling Ruth about this. Hey, this could work out. Go talk to Boaz. Go tell him that... You, She's like, I can't just go say, hey, marry me. So they come up with this whole elaborate plan of what they will do so he will know Ruth is interested in him. And guess what? It works. And he says, yes, I want to be your kinsman redeemer. So let's look at Ruth 3, skipping down the story 10 through 13. This is what Boaz says to Ruth. He says, the Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. All my fellow townsmen will know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it's true I am a near kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. So he says, this may not work. There's somebody else that's a little closer in our relatives that he may want you. So let's check with him first. Stay here for the night. In the morning, if he wants to redeem good, let him redeem but if he is not willing, as sure as the Lord lives, I will do it. So the concept of kinsman redeemer comes out of the book of Leviticus. And really, it was just set up to help protect those that were widows, especially the very poor, the very destitute. Um, didn't have welfare then. This is what they did. Everybody in your family, you take them in and you help take care of them. But they delivered people. They rescued people. They restored people on their own. In short, they were the rescuer. So the interesting thing about Boaz was he was not the nearest relative, but he was still willing to do this. There were four requirements of a kinsman redeemer, I want you to know. They had to be kin, that's the name kinsman redeemer, relative. They had to be willing. So even though somebody was their closest kin. If they said no, they weren't going to make them take them on. And then they had to be able to redeem. They had to provide something. And then they had to pay the price in full, whatever that might be. All of which Boaz was ready to do. So he goes and meets with the other relative and he tells them, hey, guess what? One of our relatives died. You are the closest of kin, so I'm going to give this to you first. He has some property, and the guy's like, yes, I want more property. And he has a widow. 
He didn't tell you he's, she's a cute young girl. He just said she has a widow. And he said, no, I cannot have another wife. So he says, you take her. You can have her. You can ha- have the land. Do whatever you need to do. So Boaz takes Ruth. He marries Ruth. He becomes her kinsman redeemer. redeemer and together they have a son. And the son's name is Obed, which happens to be the grandfather of King David. So Ruth is the great-grandmother of King David. Most likely, she knew him. And even though Ruth wasn't Jewish, because of her marriage to Boaz, she's able to participate in the lineage of Jesus, of our Savior. How amazing is that, that God used all of these paths to lead Ruth to be in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Just because she said yes. Just because Ruth said, yes, I'll walk with you. I'll take you. Naomi, I love you so much. I don't want you going by yourself, you know, to Bethlehem. I will go with you. She didn't know if, if this was going to be the end of her life, what it was going to be. But God used this to provide for each of us today. And as you hear the story of Ruth, I hope you begin thinking you're seeing the likeness of Jesus being our kinsman redeemer. He came to provide for us so we could have a relationship with God as well, which is our rescue number three. Jesus comes to the rescue. Jesus is the ultimate kinsman redeemer. He's the ultimate one who provides for us and rescued us and saved us from our sinful selves to be perfect and holy through Jesus' blood, to be able to communicate, to have a relationship with God And Christ paid the redemption price. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send a Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Colossians 1.12-14 says, And giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people, just like Ruth, in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Just as Boaz covered Ruth with his protection, redeemed her, made her his wife, and in the same way, the Lord Jesus bought us for himself, out of the curse, out of our destitution, made us his own, blessed us for all generations. He is the true kinsman redeemer of all who call on him in faith. Remember the four things required to be a kinsman redeemer. Jesus met all of those as well. He is our kin. That was the first one. He became like us. He took on humanity so that we would be able to see what God would look like in the flesh. Jesus was willing. He gave up his life as a sacrifice of his own free will. No one twisted his arm to do it. He was willing to be obedient and to see the process all the way through. Do you remember right before Jesus was going to the cross, he kneeled in the garden of Gethsemane and said, okay, God, I'll do this. But if there is any way that you can take this cup from me, please do it. But if not, Jesus walked to the cross through a horrible death. For me and for you, he loved us so much. He wanted us to be able to have eternal life with God. The third one was Jesus was able to redeem. 
His death was everything that we needed to bring about the redemption. I was listening to them backstage singing this song, and they were talking about, you know, Jesus' blood made us white as snow. His death on the cross is what made the way for us to, to be holy before God. The fourth thing, Jesus paid the complete price for our sin through our belief in him. He is our kinsman redeemer that rescues us from death to give us a new identity as a son and daughter of the king. God gives us strength to move ahead because of what Jesus has done. And I was thinking about Naomi going through this horrible time. We recently moved, and I've been pack, I packed up stuff, unpacked stuff. And I was thinking about Naomi packing up her stuff and leaving behind the graves of her sons and her husband, what this was looking like for her to go to a new place. And I'm sure God's strength was with her as she made. That's what God does. He gives us strength to get through what we don't think we can do. But I'm sure she was wondering, God, are you punishing me? Why did you allow this to happen? Why do things just keep getting worse and worse? She was waiting for the next shoe to drop and it just wasn't getting any better. Have you ever felt that way? Something unexpected came into your life. You didn't plan for it. In fact, it's when you learn that bad things happen to good people. Because this wasn't in the cards for you. And you're trying to figure out how to move on, which is what Naomi did. We had that in our family. 2011 and 12 were very hard times for my whole family. It was kind of like when we look back on 2020 now, that was, oh, remember 2011 and 12 and thank the Lord that we're past that. It started in February of 2011. My mother's oldest sister died. It was unexpected and it was, it was a hard thing to tell my aunt goodbye. And we did. And then in March, two days before my husband's birthday, his dad died. And da Derek's dad was a great man of God. Oh, everybody loved him. He had been sick with Parkinson's for a while, so we were kind of expecting it, but not really. We're never, we, were, we just weren't ready to say goodbye yet two days before his birthday. Then in October, my mother's brother dies. And then at the end of December, my dad's sister dies, his only sibling. And then two days later, December 30th, my dad dies of 2011, the hardest one yet. So Derek and I both lost our dads in 2011. How do, how do you recover from that? It was a tough year. When my dad died, um, my mom had been in there. He'd been sick, but they thought he was rallying and had gone to a nursing home, and you guys know how that goes. And my dad said, um, Elizabeth was here. And that's his sister who had died a couple of days before. And my mom said, no, Elizabeth hasn't been here. And he said, yes, yeah, she was here. She came in. What is that? I can't explain that. I have, I have no idea about any of that. On the other side, what God does to help prepare us for those who have gone before us. Then in 2012, my niece Anna died. She was 18 Caroline's age. We were very close to them, Derek's brother's daughter, and um, that was a really tough one. Then my uncle died, and then in fall of 2012, my youngest, Caroline, went off to college, which is not a death, but it's sad if you've been through it. 
Some people are going, woohoo, but it's not. You know it's never the same when they come home after that. So our house got really quiet, and we became official empty nesters. And Derek and I sat around for a while, being sad because of the two years that had been before us, thinking, what are we going to do? And I, I felt a little bit like, Naomi, can things get any worse? Um, and my mom kept saying it comes in threes. I don't know if that's a thing, but there's, it comes in three. I'm like, we've been three times three times three. There just keeps being more loss, more devastation, more bad things happening. So what do we do? What do we do when life is giving us what we don't want and what we have to go through? I think we do what Naomi did. We get up, we move on, and we follow what God's called us to do. I didn't know what that was for me, and out of some strange, it was God's circumstances, I met this man. My son was going on a mission trip, and I went up to meet um, this man, and his name was Dongo, and he was in charge of the God Care School and Orphanage. And um, we began this relationship of, hey, we really need help. And I began thinking, okay, I can sit here and mourn everybody, or maybe I can do something and help some other lives, help some other people that don't know the Lord. And, and maybe this can be the legacy that I'm leaving for those people who have had to go. So we started this relationship. 2012 was the first year we did a mission trip, and I went and met those sweetest kids, and we adopted. We have a whole posse of them. I'm a sucker. It's kind of like those shows when you see them. You know, somebody's got to sponsor them. So um, we do. And now over time, it's been 10 years. Um, one of them went to college this year. A couple of them are going to go to trade school and learn some great trades. And um, it helped. It, just, it didn't help me forget, you guys. I know when, if you've lost someone near and dear to you, you haven't forgotten them and your heart hurts most of the time. But it began a bridge of, okay, I'm going to pour my life into something else that's going to bring good from. I don't know if that's the most biblical thing. Yeah, we were praying. Yeah, we were reading God's word. But sometimes action just gets our mind off of things. You guys ever done that before? Get busy, do something else, help someone else. When you're helping someone else, it's hard to be sad. Um, when you're hearing their hard stories and you're praying for them, it's hard to be depressed within yourself and We'd be so tired when we would come home, but it was a good tired. Okay, I think we did some good today. So I don't know what that is for you. But I think that's what God wants us to do. I think he wants us to do something with our pain. He wants us to do something really good. Because, you know, everything that we've been through passed through God's hand. He's not surprised by it. So I don't know what that might be for you. What could you do to make a difference in our world? There's a lot of people in here, and there's a lot of people online, a lot of people who are going to continue to watch this later. What if each one of us said yes, God's best yes? I don't know what it is. Maybe it's helping a neighbor. Maybe it's serving at our food pantry. Maybe it's going to Uganda. Maybe, maybe you have a lot of money. Maybe you have more money than time. And maybe your money could really help a ministry to show the world, a hurting world, that there's a God that loves them so very much. Maybe you're supposed to serve in kids. That would be a big calling. Or youth, right? We talked about those teachers who have changed our lives. I remember those Sunday school teachers. Do you? 
who were reading God's word to me, telling me that God loved me no matter what. That's still inside me. It built me up to who I am. So maybe you're called to do that. I'm not really sure. But I know God has something, a calling for you. Something that he wants us to say yes to, that we will be able to make a difference. Each one of us in the world. We're not done. Bill always says, Mr. Bill, if you're not dead, you're not in the grave six feet under, God still is using you. He has something for you to do. Don't give up. Even if you're really sad right now. We lost a lot in 2020, didn't we? We're still recovering from that. But still really good things are going on. I get so excited when I get to see some great things going on in our community, in our nation. People who are doing things I would have never thought of to help other people. So use your, your bright minds, your curious thought. Begin asking God, hey, what is it for me? I will say yes. Tell him right now, I don't care what it is, God. I'm on your team, and I will say yes to whatever it is. If you will trust me to follow you, if you will trust me enough to ask me to do some hard things, I will step forward and do them for you. So we're going to pray. And as we pray, I want you to be thinking. I want you to just open your heart up to God. And would this Mother's Day be a day that changes our church, that changes our city and our community? Would this be the day that all kinds of things are being birthed that we don't even know about? And that this, yes, when we look back 10 years, like I look back from 2012 to this year, all the things that have happened. I had no idea also when we, we had this idea of, hey, let's get a Thanksgiving bag and let's give out meals at Thanksgiving. People should have a special Thanksgiving day. We did that for two or three years. You may or may not know. And then we were like, we're just feeding people once a year. This is really kind of sad. Why don't we start doing this once a month? So begin our food pantry. We had no idea this would be blowing up to this building that's being built next door. That right now we feed hundreds of people every single Saturday. We will be able to help people every single day of the week. How amazing is that? That God did Amazing. Mm -hmm. That God did, and I'll tell you, because we have a pastor who cares about that. That we as a pastor who's not saying, hey, we need better buildings, better this or that. He's saying, no, we need a help out center. And we're going to name it the Cindy Ramsey Resource Center in honor of his wife. Let's do something great with a loss that can reverberate for generations. So that's what we've done as a church as well. So let's pray and let's see what God lays on your heart. If you come up with something, I would love for you to tell me. You can email me, um, Facebook me, tell me in the lobby. I would love to hear what God has inspired you. And it may be to, not today. You may be saying, this is the five-year plan. I would love to hear what God's laid on your heart. Let's pray. God, we love you so much. Thank you for each of my friends in this room today, Lord. Thank you that, first of all, they're here. They're seeking you. They want to know you. They want to hear your word. They want you to speak to them. They want a relationship with you, Lord. And would you bless them families, bless each mother that's here today, give her strength, encouragement, peace, endurance for the race. Give her words to raise up her family, Lord. 
And I just pray you'll lay something on each person's heart in this room, online, wherever they are, Lord, that they'll begin being open. May not have it right now, but they're going to be looking and open that you're going to show them um, what, what they could do to make a difference in our world, to make a difference in the kingdom eventually, um, that people will come to know you, Lord. And if there's anybody here, Lord, who has not asked you to be their kinsman redeemer, they have not asked you to come into their heart, to be the Lord of their life, I pray they'll do that right now, that they would just pray with me, Lord, um, thank you so much, Jesus, what you did on the cross. I believe in you. I believe in your death, your burial, and your resurrection, that you rose three days later. And I want you to come into my heart, to live within me, that your spirit would speak to me, teach me the things of God, to guide me in the, the steps that I should take. I want a forever home in heaven, Lord. And if anybody's prayed that prayer today, would you please come forward with our prayer team? Let somebody know so we can get some, um, just some tools in your hands, Lord. It's the best decision, the best life-changing decision that we will ever make. Guide us, keep us all safe until we're back here next week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.